0: I am directing all executive agencies to use every appropriate emergency authority to fight the opioid crisis.
1: Hi, I'm Lucy. I'm 16 and I live in the small town of Whitefield, New Hampshire. I dare you to find it on a map. You won't. For a teen, there's not much to do up here. Combined with the veil of the White Mountains, it can make one feel pretty isolated. It doesn't help that adults don't seem to understand us and our problems. Despite their desperate efforts to understand and reach youth with lessons, scolding, and posters, we often find ourselves blocking it out. No offense, but we typically just look over those posters and not care. Often the people aren't real, the stories are fabricated and stereotypical, and, well, they're heartless. I know they have good intentions, but how can adults really help us fix the problem without hearing our side and knowing what we go through there's a whole nother world we don't get the chance to talk about one that despite their best efforts adults don't know of one that you won't find on the school issued posters in this podcast we escape the isolation of the white mountains and tell you what we really go through as youth in today's society the following stories are true be warned some may be graphic some may be sad But one thing that they all have in common is the fact that these stories of teen hardships aren't anything rare. I think I can speak for all of us when I say we crave change. But before we can change, we need a spark. You're listening to The Spark, a North Country Charter Academy student project. This project is about prevention, recovery, and change. In it, I will cover various topics on and relating to drug use. While this is New Hampshire-based, I know that this is applicable across the country. People everywhere are struggling with these issues, and something needs to be done. Today I'm meeting with Lily, a recent graduate of the North Country Charter Academy, the high school I currently attend. Lily is a former heroin addict who also suffers from a chronic disease, cystic fibrosis. That alone shortens her lifespan, so her story is a curious one. It was a cold Wednesday night in my hometown. Lily and I met at twilight, as the moon was pushing the sun from the sky. Hi, uh, my name's Lily. Hi, I'm Lucy. Um, thank you for doing this
0: interview. Yes, of course. When you were younger, did you ever imagine having problems like these? When I was younger, I probably never really thought I would have ended up where I was. I mean, I had seen it, and I never really thought that I was gonna be the one out of everybody and like my brother and everyone to do that, but it's gonna happen, I guess. When was your first contact with drugs? Probably wasn't very old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I was probably, like, 10, maybe? I didn't really understand, like, I didn't really know what it was, I guess, positively, but, like, my uncle has always had a really big issue with drug addiction. I used to spend a lot of time in my grandmother's house, which is where he lived. He would, like, get into fights with her, like, physical fights, and I guess that was really, like, my first. Did you ever use any um, drugs like marijuana or just alcohol or <sighs> drinking?
1: This may surprise some, but in my experience, it typically starts around 13.
0: I started drinking and probably smoking marijuana when I was like 14. Hmm. Not like heavily or anything like that, yeah. but, and then I got into that scene and that's how I met all of those friends and that guy, because they were partiers. Tell me about how your addiction started. I think I was probably like 16. I started hanging around with some people that definitely I probably shouldn't have been hanging around especially when I was 16 I met a guy and he was a drug addict he told me like you know you can try it if you want like you know I'll just I'll get you some heroin or whatever it is that you want and you can try it and it'll be fun like we were going to a party or whatever you know I did it one time and that was it
1: The first time the toxins entered her body is now lost somewhere in the hazy depths of her mind. So to jog her memory, today I'm taking her back to the place it all started.
0: Oh, right here. Pull over up here for a second. This is the spot that I had also pulled over the very first time that I decided I was going to try heroin. I got it from the person and I didn't want to wait until I got home. So I pulled over in my car and I did it in my car right here. How does it feel being back here at the place it all began? What memories does it jog? <sighs> I knew that it was a bad idea and I did it anyway. And you know it brings up a lot of memories because if that had never happened the very first time then probably wouldn't have gone on for three or four more years. Did you think of your family? I did actually think of my family a lot. I knew that it was going to hurt them really bad when they found out that this was going on. and. Because, you know what I mean, like, my philosophy with that was what they don't know won't hurt them, even though they totally knew because I was a totally sketchy, different person. But they had no proof and there was nothing anyone could do. I was an adult, and I'd always say that they're just they're rude for saying that about me, that, that they're nasty, and I'd start fights with them. And then I felt even worse about that. But I would just get high and not think about it.
1: We all have regrets, and we will never be free from regret, but we can always try our best to prevent it. That's why countless youth programs are made to deter teens from taking that hit, that drink, or that bump. But where did the influence go?
0: So I imagine you have a lot of regrets. I definitely do have a lot of regrets. I was a really bad person for a while, and the longer it went on, the worse it got, and the less that I cared about how terrible I was being. You know, I was getting people into trouble, I was getting myself into trouble, I was ruining my life. I dropped out of school, like, I was stealing from my family, and I was lying to them, That I was so horrible to my mom. I wasn't there when my grandma got sick, and I wasn't there when she died, because I was out at a party getting high. And that's probably the biggest regret that I have right there, because my grandma was, like, my best friend in the whole world. I spent every single day at her house from the day that I was born until I was probably 12 or 13, And then she got diagnosed with lung cancer um, on my 17th birthday, actually. And that definitely perpetuated things because that broke my heart. And I was supposed to be there, you know, when she, because they knew she was going to die, but I didn't go. I went out instead, and that's something that I'll never be able to take back.
1: Did you know she was going to die?
0: She was sick for, like, a couple of years, but they were, like, pretty sure she was going to die within those few days of, like, when she did. But I was, like, pretending like it wasn't happening, and that was stupid. Mm. Um,
1: I imagine the cystic fibrosis must have made the effects of the drugs worse on you.
0: That also played a big piece in my addiction, too, because often I don't feel good. Every single day of my life, there's something else wrong. Like, I don't ever feel very good. When I would get high, like, it didn't bother me anymore because I was high. I just kept doing it and doing it, and it would help me stop coughing because opiates slow your you know, heart rate and your respirations and stuff like that. And it just completely like destroyed my body. My organs weren't working properly, my lungs weren't working right because I just hadn't been breathing right for a few hours. It was definitely very hard on my body. Mm-hmm. Would you say the drugs were a coping mechanism for you? They definitely were. It made me feel better, and it helped, and all of that definitely, definitely was. Because I, like, stopped doing my treatments because I was high all the time, so I felt like I didn't need them because I felt better. But that was just not appropriate. (laughs) Did you know you were killing yourself? I think I did, and I thought about how bad it is for especially me to be doing stuff like that. But, like, I just would put it to the back of my mind and be like, well, you know, Other people are doing drugs, and they're not, like, getting real sick, and they're not, like, ruining their bodies. I'll be okay, like, but I definitely did, but I didn't care, I don't think.
1: For most of us, life is about the choices we make. Lily didn't choose to have cystic fibrosis, but somewhere along the line, she made a decision that would quickly consume her life. One may ask, was it an attempt to mask? or to end the pain.
0: So you wouldn't say that you wanted an earlier death? No. Because with cystic fibrosis, your life expectancy is a lot shorter than somebody who doesn't have that, and that was something that I never wanted to do. Like, I didn't want to be doing things that would make that even shorter, because that's scary, like... Yeah. (laughs) When and why were you admitted to the hospital? I get frequent lung infections because bacteria grows in my lungs. When that starts to happen, um, they have to admit me to the hospital so that I can get um, heavy duty IV antibiotics so that, you know, the infection will go away and I don't die. And so I was admitted and yeah.
1: It was February 24th and her father had taken the day off to visit her in the hospital where she was admitted a week earlier for one of her frequent lung infections. She was almost ready to go home, but then something horrible happened.
0: I had been in Dartmouth for probably about a week or a little bit more at that point, and this particular day was February 24th, 2017, and my dad had taken the day off so that he could come down and spend the day with me, or he was going to spend the night. I had had him stop at the guy's house who I was seeing at the time because I had convinced this particular boyfriend to get me, like, like a gift. But he, like, um, put heroin, like, in a sealed envelope in it because I had been there for so long and I was, you know, I wasn't feeling very good because I was addicted. And so my dad had brought that down. At this point in my addiction, I had been using needles and stuff like that, and I took that and I went into the bathroom of my hospital room, and I injected it through what, um, I have a Metaport in my chest to get my antibiotics now because I can't get any more IVs or anything because I don't really have any veins that aren't all scar tissue, and I used that to inject it instead of a needle, and that goes straight to my heart. It turned out that the drugs that he had sent me, to were also mixed with a different kind of drug that you weren't supposed to, you know, mix those two things together because it will make your heart stop. That's exactly what happened. I told my dad that I was, you know, I was going in the bathroom to use the bathroom and take a shower. A nurse had come into my room, so she knocked on the door, and I didn't answer because, you know, my heart had stopped. So she knocked again. I still didn't answer, so she just opened the door, and they found me. They had to use Narcan on me twice and it still didn't really work. So they had to use those paddle thingies to like jump my heart and I woke up and there was just like so many people in my room. Like I didn't even know, I didn't know what happened. I didn't remember anything. And my dad was gone. They made him leave the room and it was a very eye-opening, very traumatic experience. Why did you take a drug in a
1: place where people go to get healthy.
0: You know, when you're in withdrawals and you're detoxing and stuff like that is a very uncomfortable thing. Considering the fact that I was already intensely sick and intensely uncomfortable, not counting, you know, being in withdrawal, that made it ten times worse. I couldn't eat, I, you know what I mean? I couldn't sleep, um, and, you know, it was just really bad. And I knew that if I got high, like, I wouldn't feel quite as bad. So that was, you know, the motive behind that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Your boyfriend, did you convince him to
1: bring you drugs in the hospital?
0: I did. I had coerced him into doing it. I asked him to. He was also addicted to drugs, so like he didn't find it that big of a deal at the time. And yeah, I definitely had more to do with that than he did. Things would probably be a lot different right now if he didn't. I probably still, you know, cuz I wouldn't have overdosed. I don't know if I would have even stopped at that point in time, I wouldn't have gone to rehab. I probably would have died.
1: How did your dad react when he came back? In the
0: room? Well, when when I woke up, I started crying. I was like yelling for my dad or whatever, and he came back in and he cuz like they weren't going to let him in, but he like broke through to people because he was like, uh, no, and he came in and he just like came in the bathroom and he like bent down he picked me up off the floor and it was, he was really upset and he was yelling and he was crying and it was, it was very, very sad.
1: Perhaps it was a look in her dad's eyes, or maybe the fear her death had instilled in her, but something told her she needed to change. I imagine you didn't just stay at the hospital another week or something.
0: After that, I had to spend the night in the intensive care unit just to make sure, especially because of my body, too, that, you know what I mean? Everything was still working okay after that and stuff. At that point, they felt that I was healthy enough to be discharged, but they were going to send me home or whatever, and I was going to decide from home what I wanted to do, if I wanted to go to rehab or whatever, but I didn't feel comfortable leaving and going home. So the very next day, I went to a rehab in Effingham, New Hampshire, and I spent about 30 to 40 days there. That was definitely something that was very important that I needed to do for myself. I made the decision all on my own. Nobody influenced me. Nobody asked me to go. I just decided that it was time and I needed to go, so I went. And then after that, I still didn't feel comfortable going home, so I moved to Portland, Maine, for about three months to a sober living home. That was a really good experience, too. It was hard because that's the first time I'd ever lived away from my family. And it's, like, a little difficult, too, with, like, my CF because I don't really know. Like, at that point, I still didn't really know how to manage any of it, like, insurance and doctor's appointments and stuff like that. But it was definitely something that was very important to me. It helped me grow up a lot, and it also helped me to see you know, the error in my ways of all the stuff that i had been doing in the past few years.
1: Is there anything in particular that really stands out to you about your experience in, the, in rehab?
0: The difficult part, I think, was being away from my family the most to me, because I'm a very family-oriented person. You could only make two phone calls a week, and each of them were only allowed to be ten minutes long. My parents could only come visit you on Sundays for three hours. and. This particular rehab was three hours away, so that didn't always work out. The way that it worked in that rehab, they really got under the surface of, like, what actually was going on with you. Why you started doing drugs and, like, why you kept doing drugs. And It was very emotional, and that was very hard because I also am somebody who likes to push back my emotions because there's a lot of them, a lot of them that come along with CF. It's hard and it's scary, and they made me look at things and think about a lot of things that I didn't want to. And that I had just been completely avoiding for like a really long time. And that's, that was really hard. And that stood out to me a lot, though, because it was something that I needed to do. I just didn't want to. But I needed to grow up and swallow my pride and actually do it. And once I finally did it, things changed a lot. If you
1: could go back and tell yourself something on the day you first took heroin, what would you say?
0: And do you think it would work? I think that if I could have gone back in time right now to 16-year-old Lily and told her, you know, exactly what I knew and exactly what I was going to go through and stuff like that, I I probably honestly would have been like, well, I just won't get addicted to it then. Like, I can do it this one time. It's not even a big deal. And probably still would have done it. And it probably would not have changed the outcome because that's a stupid statement. That's what I always used to tell everybody, too. I'm not addicted to it, I just like to do it for fun sometimes. Biggest lie I think I've probably ever told. I don't think it would've helped that much. I was I was pretty rude. And uh, when somebody would tell me not to do something, I certainly 100% did it.
1: Thank you for being so brave and honest with us
0: tonight. My story looks a little bit different than, you know, other people's stories, of course, because of my CF and, you know, all of that. but. Um, I think it's really important for people to learn and know what the face of addiction actually looks like and sounds like, not the way that the posters explain it, because it's a very different-looking thing than a poster just telling you drugs are bad, don't do them. There's reasons why people need to know that, so it's definitely my pleasure.
1: I do hope that your story helps someone out there.
0: I do too, definitely. Definitely.
1: No matter who you are or where you are, there is help. If you are an individual who needs help locally, you can call 603-444-1300 between 9am and 5pm and speak to someone who is in recovery and has been where you are. The The New Hampshire Crisis Line is 603-844-4357 and the National Hotline is 888-487-4889. Your call is confidential. In an emergency, please call 911. Don't hesitate. There are people who want to help waiting for your call. If you are a family member, friend, or know someone who needs help or information, you can also use these numbers. Again, the local numbers are 603 444 1300 to speak to someone who is in recovery. The New Hampshire crisis line is 603 844 4357. The national hotline is 888-487-4889.